Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to church. Welcome to 2023. Uh, I think this year is going to be absolutely amazing. I really do. And uh, God only knows the, the big picture, but we want to be a part of it, yeah? And um, so let's pray because I need the anointing and I want all of us to have ears to hear. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, Father, to anoint me as I preach about your word, about your truth, about the vision that you have for your people here on earth, Lord. Father, I ask you that you would anoint my, my understanding and my heart, Lord, and, and also anoint all of our ears to hear what your spirit is saying, Lord. Unblock our ears, Lord, to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to us so that we will be a people who are faithful to truth, faithful to your word and faithful to your call. And I thank you today uh, for bringing us all together, Lord, and we're excited about a new year. And so, uh, yeah, just bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to begin a bit of a series today. I'll be speaking for the, this week and the next two weeks. And... Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about what the vision of the church looks like over these next few weeks. As I mentioned just before Christmas, I wanted to, I wanted to do a series on what it means to be an Antioch church. And I made reference to a prophetic word or several words that we've had as a church that we would be like the church of Antioch. Antioch was a place um, and uh, it was where one of the churches was, one of the most powerful churches and one of the most mission-minded churches was back in, in the days of the early church. You can read all about it in the New Testament and in the book of Acts especially. And that was what was said over us, that we would be like the Antioch church. And so I, I want to do a bit of a, take us on a bit of a journey to understand what that would really look like for you and I as part of Melbourne life and as part of the life churches. Obviously, we've already planted four different churches, so we're already part of, of something that God is doing. But I want us to see the, the big picture over these next few weeks. I don't know how far I'll get. I don't want to speak for too long each time, as is my habit, um, because, uh, you know, it is January. We all just need little bite-sized pieces. But also, not only that, there is so much information, so much to take in. I want us to go on this journey together and really grasp what it is that, that we need to understand from the truths that we'll be speaking about. So we're going to be looking at the uh, why... It's important to have vision. In fact, today we're going to be speaking about the need of vision and how powerful that really is. Uh, at one point I'll be speaking about, I don't know if I'll do that in these next couple of weeks, but at one stage we'll be using, uh, as a backdrop to understanding what the church at Antioch looks like, we're going to be discussing the Jerusalem church, the church that was historically there in Jerusalem in, in the book of Acts, and the downfalls and the pitfalls that they fell into, that the Antioch church didn't fall into. And so it's really important for us to understand if we want to be like the Antioch church, which is a good thing, then it's really important for us to understand what it would look like if we're not. And so we will be looking at that at some point as well. Um, once again, I'm going to be using Kevin Connor's notes. I'll show you my notes. Are you ready? This is literally ripped off of his book. I literally photocopied. And uh, I'm just doing that to let everyone know. It's so good what he's written that I'm literally just preaching and taking elements of what he said rather than retype everything. And uh, it's, it's so incredible to realise the role of a teacher. And I know I've said this many times, but when we have a good teacher in the body of Christ, and of course Kevin has now passed away, 
um, but he, he loved to leave his material for people to take, people like myself, people like you, you guys, and to be able to break it down, to understand and treat it as seed in our hearts so that we can take it, look at the Bible, and then understand it for ourselves and begin to operate in and understand the truths that, he, that this teacher taught the body of Christ. Now, there are many teachers in the body of Christ. Brahm is a teacher. He has the gifting of a teacher. And uh, so I, I'm going to encourage all of us to listen and hear when the teacher is speaking, because what a teacher does is gives us the, the banks of the river, gives us the boundaries of doctrine and the boundaries of the word of God. And then the, the prophet can come in, the apostle can come in, the, the evangelist and the, and the pastor and operate in all the different capacities that those gifts lean themselves to, but all based on the foundation of correct doctrine. Okay, so that's the role of a teacher. And so uh, that's why I, I just, I love to, to speak out of his, his, uh, his impartation that he's given through his books. All right, so we're going to talk about the need of vision. And, you know, it's vital that if we want to be a certain way as, a, as, as the people of God and as a particular church, it's really vital that we understand the, the, uh, that we have vision. Not just that we understand vision, but, but that we as a people have vision. Why? Because vision gives direction. It gives motivation. It gives uh, a sense of destiny. But without direction and without motivation, there is no sense of destiny. And in fact, in Proverbs 29:18, this is what it says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Now, there's other translations that actually give us a little bit of insight into this particular verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish, is the one I just read. Then there's another one that says, where there's no vision, the people are made naked. Another one in the Amplified says, where there is no vision or no redemptive revelations of God, the people perish. So we're not talking about just normal vision here. We're not talking about... You know, I have a vision to uh, be a doctor. Or I have a vision to travel the world. Their, their desires and their hopes and their dreams. But we're talking about supernatural biblical vision here of which you and I are a part. The minute we say we want to, be, we want to follow Jesus, we become a part of, our, of a, a vision that God has for his people. And we're going to look at that. Another one says where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. Without prophecy is another way of putting it. The people become demoralised because vision or revelation or redemptive revelation is the same as prophecy and we're going to look at that in a minute. Where there is no progressive vision, the people dwell carelessly. Another one says the people run right, the people are uncontrolled, they run wild. Where there is uh, ignorance of God or where without revelation a nation fades. Like, it just goes on and on. These are all the different translations. They throw off restraint. They become demoralised. And, you know, we can see, even biblically, uh, in the Old Testament, what it looks like when there is no vision. In fact, you see quite a mess when there is no vision, no redemptive vision from God. And I've got to use a bit of an example from 1 Samuel chapters. It actually starts from chapters 1, 2, 2 and 3, if you want to go back and read it. But it's this incredible story, and I used to love preaching about this because there's so much in it. But it's a story of Eli the priest, and he, he was um, a man that was quite, he was physically almost blind, but he was almost also spiritually blind. And when you go back and read it, you can actually see that. And 
when you read about the days of Eli, it actually illustrates the condition of these truths of without vision, the people perish um, in a people where there is no vision. And so 1 Samuel 1, 2 and 3 actually encapsulates that kind of concept of what it looks like. Very, very interesting to read. And the overarching uh, statement of that era and that season was that the, the word of the Lord was rare. Well, the word of the Lord was scarce in those days. There was no open vision. And in the Amplified, it says, there was no frequent or widely spread vision, no direct or clear vision. All right? So the word of the Lord was rare. There was not a lot of impartation, even though this guy was a priest and the, you know, the, the system of priesthood and the rituals were still continuing. That never stopped. But the word of the Lord was rare. It was scarce. And there was no vision being imparted. And yet this guy just rocked up for his work, you know, every day, did what he needed to do, bring the evening sacrifice, doing all the things that were, were called off to do in the, in the, um, in the, according to the priesthood uh, rules. But when you see what happened to those people at that time, they were so demoralised and they cast off restraint, literally. In fact, they, were, they dwelt carelessly. And when you read the story, you actually look at Eli's sons. And Hophni and Phinehas were their names. Funny, these names. Could you imagine having a baby? Oh, this is my baby, Hophni. Um, anyway, I'm sure they'd say that about Diane now. Anyway, uh, but these people were really evil people. Because of the laws of priesthood, they were the sons of Eli. So they were meant to take on the role of priesthood. But because the word of the Lord was rare and it was scarce, it wasn't imparted by Eli. He just rocked up to do this system, this dead religious system that he participated in. He didn't impart the truth of the Word of God to his sons, to his own children. And these men were terrible people, really evil people. In fact, the Bible says that they were worthless, that they, were, um, uh, that they, were, they did not know the Lord. In fact, there's a reason why they didn't know the Lord. When you look at the story of Eli, their father, when Hannah, the beautiful woman that came in, you'll see this in chapter one and two, she came before the Lord and she was crying out. This is the mother of Samuel who became the great prophet in Israel. She wanted a son. She was desperate for a son. You can go back and read this story and see her intercession. And she cried out before God. And she was in the, the place of, of, of worship and doing it. And Eli, the priest, could see her. But you see, he didn't recognise intercession. He didn't recognise what it looked like to walk with the Lord and to know the Lord and to interact with the Lord. When you walk with God, when you interact with God, there's a natural aspect that you just start to intercede, which means to pray and ask on behalf of. And that's the, that's the, the first step of a relationship with, with anyone. You talk with them, you, you relate with them, you connect with them and you ask of things. And you love them. Well, this woman, Hannah, was doing that. She was requesting something from God. Eli was so spiritually blind, he didn't even recognise true intercession. This woman was weeping before God. And he said, is she drunk? Like started to almost probably mock her and, and hold disdain towards her. Because he didn't recognise. He was so desensitised to a walk with God because he was just rocking along day in, day out, doing his thing, doing the rituals. Meanwhile, he's having sons who are watching their father's example. A weak man. Eli was a weak man, a weak father and a very weak leader. 
And these sons, they weren't just weak, they were immoral and they were evil. And, and the Bible, like I said, says they were worthless. They were worthless. In fact, they slept with the people that were, that were what does it say? They slept with the women who served at the door of the tent of meeting. Not only that, but if you read in 1 Samuel 2, and you can look at verse 16, not now, but you can have a look at that at one point. It talks about how the worshippers are meant to bring their sacrifice. This is a free will offering, a free will sacrifice that they bring before God. Now remember, this is the people of God bringing their sacrifices to God. They come to the temple place, the, the tent of meeting. They bring their, their sacrifices. This is their responsibility, their desires. They've, they've chosen to come and bring. And they bring it to God. And they're meant to do it in a certain way. And it always says that the, the fat is meant to belong to the Lord. That part of the animal belongs to the Lord. But when they say, and, and I'll read it to you, it's quite an extraordinary story. When it says here, also before they, this is in verse 15, also before they burned the fat, the priest's servants came and said to the man who sacrificed, give the priest meat to roast. So this is at the time of Hophni and Phineas, okay? So this man has come to, he's basically determining what his sacrifice will be. He knows and understands, and he's reinforcing the law saying, I know that I have to bring the fat first and I understand that the meat has to be boiled, right? So th this is just all background to what I'm, I'm about to say. And, and the priest comes and says, give the pre priest meat to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but raw. So now there's a little bit of pressure on this worshipper who's coming, who actually knows what he's supposed to do. And this guy is saying to him, don't boil it, we want it raw. Okay, and there's a reason for this. And then he goes on to say, and if the man, the worshipper, said to him, let them burn the fat first, and then you may take as much as you want, the priest's servant would say, no, give it to me now, or I will take it by force. Now this worshipper Pretty much they understood the law. They understood what they had to do. And yet Hophni and Phinehas, this is the, the background to this story. This is how wicked they were. This is how rare, scarce and precious the word of the Lord was in that day. This is how lacking they were in redemptive vision and, and that something that would carry them forward and take them into the purposes of God. They're now saying, no, you're going to do it this way because they weren't satisfied with what was provided to them according to the Leviticus priesthood. Back in Leviticus, it says, no, you can have certain organs from the animal and that will be sufficient for you. Yeah. They didn't want just that. They wanted more. They wanted to take from the sacrifice that the people of Israel were giving and they, wanted, they were gluttonous. They were greedy. Yeah. This was a mess. This was a complete and utter mess and absolutely sinful before God. And so they were dissatisfied. And in the end, they intimidated and they abused their position. They took the best of the sacrifice of the worshipper. And you know what? I'm saying all of that to say, I feel like modern day church is almost bordering on this now. That the people in the positions of responsibility have taken the best when you guys come to church, you bring your hearts. I know what it's like to bring your hearts and to bring your worship and want to give to God and follow the accuracy and the truth and the simplicity of the principle that God says to, to, to how to give to God. But the people over the years have recognised, oh, there's something in this for me. 
I've watched this happen. I've, every church Brahma and I used to go into, they all wanted Brahma and I to just be their worship pastors. They wanted the best of what we had. No one ever said, Brahm, I see an incredible gift of teaching in your life. No one ever pulled him aside and said, listen, I know you're an incredible worship leader. I know you're a blessing to our church, but let me look at you, the man. Let me see the giftings that you are bringing to God. No one ever said that, ever. No one ever said whatever they could have said to me. <laughs> What's that? I'm great, you're great. But I watched, that's nothing in comparison to how I've watched abuse. We were never abused at least. But I've watched many churches spring up worldwide that demand people come to the house of God and they bring in this kind of vision of the house of God. See, the thing that God wants to take us on this journey is what does the church really look like nowadays? What should it look like? We learn in the book of Revelation that we are meant to be the lampstand in the city. And Jesus walks like the coach amongst the lampstand. And if we're not, if we're not doing the way He wants us to do, he will, he will take away our lamp and our light in the city. And I've watched so many churches worldwide use people and abuse people and take and gluttonously take the best of a person's gifting for the use of what they perceive as vision for their church. It's so wrong. It is so wrong. It is so wicked and it's so wrong. Is it any wonder I feel like God is messing things up now? And <laughs> we're watching huge churches be dismantled. We're watching people in disarray. Why? Because where there is no redemptive vision, where there is no correct prophecy, where there's no true revelation of who the church is, the people run wild, they dwell carelessly, they're made to be naked, they throw off restraints and they have no sense of direction because it's supposed to come from leadership. But when leadership just wants to gluttonously take the best, ah. Oh, it's devastating. And you know what, God, if you read on oh, the book of Samuel and you read what happened to Eli and his sons, wow. Yeah. God has his way. So that's why, you know, even churches perish for a lack of vision in leadership. They perish. No people, no group of people can rise above the level of leadership vision. Isn't that the truth? People do not want to follow someone or something that is soon to perish. That's why there's need for great vision. All right, second point that, that I'm going to speak about is the need of progressive vision. And I read earlier the Swedish translation of Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no progressive revelation or progressive vision, the people dwell carelessly. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible itself is a progressive revelation of what God has in mind. Even though each book of the Bible is complete in itself, no one book is the complete Bible. But each part is, each is part of the whole. Each book, you think about the Old Testament, each is part of the whole. The consummation of God's vision is seen in the book of Revelation. And in what they also call the book of Revelation is the book of ultimates. So even in the Bible, it's a progressive vision. No one, each, each book is complete in itself in the Bible, and yet no one book is the whole Bible. It's a progressive vision. But also God used people to bring the progressive vision 
of the very Bible itself. And all visions given to Old Testament people were progressive and that in that each God-given vision was part of a progressive whole. So we begin to see in the Old Testament times how these people, these great men and women of God, and there are so many, we'll touch on them next week because I certainly won't get around to doing it today. But each one received a distinctive vision for their time, for their generation. That's powerful. You know, I always say, and if you've been around long enough, you've heard me say it many times. There's a reason you and I were born now. We didn't just happen to be here. You and I are born here for a a very specific reason. And all human beings want to know why they're here. Every human being has this, this innate kind of desire on the inside to find out, do they matter? Are they worthy? Are they worth something on this planet in this life? Yes, we are. And there's a reason that we've been born now. But we need to become a part of God's progressive vision and understand how He wants to use us in this season and in this life. But when you look back at those Old Testament believers, yes, they had specific calls for their generation and for their particular time. They had specific roles that they needed to participate in, but all were part of a progressive uh, part of the whole vision until the completed vision seen in Christ and His church. And we're going to get to that. We won't get to that today, but we're touching on the principle of the need of vision in our lives. And I'm talking biblical vision. Um, now, you might say to me, oh, Diane, I just, <laughs> this is too much. I don't, I don't want to come to church and hear all this big stuff about vision. I don't want to hear about, you know, the vision of Melbourne life. Like, give me a break. Well, the minute we step inside a church, we become part of God's church. And, you know, you might say, I don't want to hear about this because I have needs. You know, I have a broken marriage. I have, I have, I've just lost my job. And these are really valid needs that all of us can come to church with. Or you might have been a believer for decades and you still have deep needs. And you're like, oh, I don't want pressure to have to do something or be something that I'm not. I just have these needs. I just come to church because I need my needs met. Well, you know what the Bible tells me in Matthew, what is it, Matthew... Matthew, Matthew 16, Matthew 6, Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these needs will be met. All your needs that you have. You see, God still says to us, even in your brokenness, even in the deep needs that you all have, we all have, even this morning, all of us, if I went around the room and asked you, you would all be able to name a particular need, some greater than others, but there's still needs. And Jesus' solution to that is just seek first the kingdom. And when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, you can't separate that from stepping into the progressive vision of what God has for his people. You can't escape it. None of us can escape it. And you will find, you and I will find that as we give out and find out, we might just be a little toe. We might be a toenail in the body of Christ. We might be, you know, a strand of hair. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that every joint will supply. And as we start to give out in the body of Christ and start to participate, even no matter how small it is, it really doesn't matter. It's about the giving out and seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. You know what? All our needs they suddenly get met. All our needs, all our, all our desires, all the things that we desperately want, that we're desperately seeking after, all of a sudden, because we haven't really focused on them, we've just brought our requests before God and asked Him, all of a sudden they're met. And meanwhile, God's using us in His vision. 
All right. So it's necessary to move with God and progress in the vision that God gives us. Otherwise, staleness, indifference, carelessness sets in. And when you look at Israel, when they were in the wilderness, uh, they died out there because of their failure to move on progressively with God's vision. It's an incredible story, actually. I think from memory, I'll have to check with the teacher sitting in the front row, but from memory, that journey for Israel to get to the promised land should have only taken 11 days. Is that correct? Yeah, okay, good. Um, But how long did it take them? 40 years. That's kind of like a generation or more. And so that's why many of them died in the wilderness because they failed to move on with the progressive vision of God. So we need clear vision. We need, we need vision. Otherwise, we dwell aimlessly and carelessly. There is a progressive vision which we need to understand. And we need clear vision. The prophet Habakkuk writes, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain that he that runs that he may run the one that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, for surely it will come. It will not tarry. That's in Habakkuk 2, 1 to 3. Now, when God gave the Old Testament people the vision, he told them to write it down and to make it plain. And there's something powerful about writing things down. So he inspired them. It was his spirit. Yes, people wrote the books of the Bible, but they, it was his spirit through them that was writing that. And writing helps to clarify the vision that God gives us. And vision is always fulfilled in God's appointed time. I mean, you've heard me talk about prophecies that, that Brahm and I have received or that our church has received. And I literally write them down. And I often, you know, perhaps once a year or once every two years, I go back and just read them again and look at them again. And I pray according to those prophetic words. And uh, so when we begin to write down, we have to understand that we have a responsibility to, to follow uh, not just the prophetic words and wage warfare according to the prophetic words, like it says in Timothy, but also to understand the principle of the written word and let the written word paint a picture of vision even in our hearts. And that word of God, and you're always hearing this from Brahm, who's this, you know, this is his thing. It's about the truth. It's about the word of truth. We need that as the boundaries in our lives. There's nothing else we have to stand on except for the word of God. And uh, we have a responsibility to follow that, but also followers have a responsibility as well to read and to put the Word of God into their hearts, to save it into their hearts. You know, what's that old adage they say, you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? I'm not calling you all horses, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like leaders can give the Word of God, but if we are not in a position of also pouring that into our own hearts, we won't partake of what God actually has for us. And so we have the written scriptures that help paint a vision for us, that help paint a picture. And, but we also understand the power of prophetic words that we have, that we need to write them down. And see, this is why even I talk about prophecies and prophetic words. They aren't the Word of God, but they are given and they are added into our journey. And obviously there are rules and strict guidelines around that. There has to be confirmation and all that sort of thing. You can't have all these wacky people out there prophesying and just mouthing off. But it's powerful to instill and to reinforce vision that God has for our lives. It's so powerful. And um, 
So yeah, so you've got the prophetic words that we can write down. You have the Word of God, which is written down. And we, t- we need to understand that. But also we need to understand who we are as a church and make it clear and make it plain. And even on our website, we've got the vision a- at the bottom. And I don't even know if people ever read that, but it's there, it's clear. From the very beginning, Brahma and I said, this is the kind of church we wanna be. This is the sort of church we wanna see. We will be a church planting church. We will impart to the young people. We will, you know, th- it goes on and on and on and on and on. So we have to be clear in that. All right. The next thing is there needs to be the need of obedience to vision. All right. Paul said, the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, 19 said this, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul had a heavenly vision, a vision that originated with God. And vision demands obedience to the word of the Lord in order to be fulfilled. I just think this is so powerful. You know, when, the older you get and the more you walk with the Lord, the easier you realise it is to be disobedient to the heavenly vision. When you're young and you're starting off, you have this youthful passion and this excitement. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Yeah, I want to give everything. Yeah, I want to do what God wants me to do. And then life hits, real life. You know, you get older, you get wrinkly, your bank balance isn't as exciting as you imagined and hoped for in your 20s. You know, yeah, maybe your relationships haven't been successful the way you imagined. Maybe your children or your, your family or your housing situation, there's all, so many myriad of things that can be tossed up in the air and fall down in a place that we didn't expect. Maybe our health is challenged, maybe, uh, you know, catastrophes happen in our lives, maybe there are tragedies. And it's so easy to get taken off track or maybe we just get too comfortable. Maybe we just get too complacent. Maybe things just become too easy. That's another issue. And we can become disobedient to the heavenly vision. It takes courage day in, day out to stay on track and keep walking according to the heavenly vision that God has for us as his people, as his church. And this is where I, I like to say this is, and for all of you who are married out there, the power of a good spouse. You know, every marriage that I see that is sort of powering on in God, they hold one another accountable to truth. Marriages that tend to fall apart or walk away or lose interest in God or lose interest in walking with God or, or for other people, often there's another spouse or one part of the membership, one part of the, the relationship that pulls them away or endorses the weakness in the other and doesn't challenge the one with truth. You know, Brahma and I challenge each other with truth all the time. We don't make room for each other's weaknesses. And the amazing thing is that when he's up, I'll be down so he can encourage me. When I'm up, sometimes he's down and I encourage him, but we don't put up with each other's crap. Because we want to keep ourselves on the, on, the, on the same track. You know, it's narrow. It's a narrow path. It's true. Do we have crap? Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> but we keep each other on track according to the Word of God. Well, you know, if Brahm says, if Brahm suddenly said to me, look, you could never imagine this happening. But if Brahm suddenly said, oh, I don't want to go to church today. And I say, Brahm, you're the pastor. You have to. And he still says, no, I just want to go sailing. Sa-na-na-na. Anyway, um, that just came into my brain, which he's never done in his life. He's never been sailing. But say if he wanted to, I say, Brown, get a grip. No, we love God. We love the people of God. We're here to serve God. Remember, you always preach. It's about the people of God. That's what I would say to him. And if I did the same thing and I sort of started to pull away, 
He would do the same thing for me. He would keep me on track. This is what a good relationship does. You keep each other accountable to the heavenly vision and keep walking. And you might say, well, that's great, Diane. I don't, I'm not married. Yeah, but we've got one another. That's why we're in community. That's why the Bible says every joint of the member of Christ supplies. We're part of the one body. That's why it says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's power in this coming together. Even afterwards when we have something to eat before we all leave. Encourage one another in the Lord. You know, just strengthen one another. Find out where one another's at. at. Encourage each other. Strengthen one another according to truth. All right? Because we all want to be obedient to vision. All right. So I'm going to wrap this up because like I said, I only want to give a little bit each week. Are we all going all right here? Stop thinking about the beach, everyone. All right. So let's look at the word vision. The word vision basically translated in the Strong's Concordance. So we're taking the actual word in the Hebrew. Okay, we're not just, remember, it's not about I have a vision for a three-story house with, you know, 10-car garage. We're not talking about that kind of vision. We're talking about the vision that is in the Bible, right? Nothing wrong with all of that, but that's, that's our human desires, and we're all allowed to have them. But we're talking about the need for biblical vision to be the lampstand in the city, to be the people that shine. Heaven knows The world needs to see the true church be the church. We have got so much false church happening worldwide that are bringing such disdain to to the name of Jesus. That, you know, I think the world, people that don't go to church know more what Christians should look like and what churches should be like than a lot of people in the churches. People are so, you know, they're just like Eli and Hophni and Phineas. They're just going about their thing, doing their thing, rocking up for worship, doing their stuff, taking up offerings, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, all the little infighting and all the garbage and preaching false doctrines and and not empowering people and not releasing people to give their best to God. And then the world goes, you know, what are you doing? You know, you've got whole churches in America that are now becoming more, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it, and I'm not sorry, but they're becoming Trump churches. They talk more about patriots. They've got people in churches in America. It's the weirdest thing. People that have been in church for decades together are splitting now because some of them, you know, they're, they're, they're more into following all these ridiculous, false, prophetic words about Donald Trump. Oh my gosh, this is the church we're talking about. I'm not making a political statement. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I, I will speak into the truth about what churches look like. We, we belong to another kingdom, guys. We're not supposed to be entering into that, that place. We're meant to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and then all our needs will be met. But they're trying to dominate through a system that will never, God will not bless it. So now you've got churches splitting and heaven help us if that sort of mentality creeps into the church here in Australia. I tell you what, they'll be hearing from me. (laughs) Might end up in jail, but that's okay. You'll come and visit me, right? Thank thank you, (laughs) Brown. I shouldn't really joke about this stuff, should I? But seriously, it makes me so cross. Like Christians are losing sight of who the church is and then they're, they're, they're doubling down and they say, no, this is church and you all have to obey and you, you know, we're gonna institutionalise Christianity and you know, make it the rule of the nation. You can't do that. You can't dominate people's worship. It's a free will offering that people give to God. You can't dominate a nation and say, you won't do this, you will do this, and this is how it's going to be. And we're in charge now. We're going to legislate holiness. You can't do that. 
God will come and put a match to the whole thing and burn the whole thing down. And yet you've got Christians in America and I have a feeling there are a few here as well in Australia that think somehow this mentality is God-given. Well, it's not. And God will have His way. So you know what? We don't want to focus on all of that. Every now and then I'll mouth off about it because I didn't mean to do that, but that was for free. Um, But you know what? That's not our focus. Our focus is the vision that God has placed before us. Our, Our focus is not what we shouldn't be, but who we are. Okay? I want us to begin to burn with it because we all have something to give. We all have something powerful inside of us. All of us had the seed, the divine seed of the nature of God. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible tells me about you and I. That's powerful, you guys. Come on. That's powerful. We can live out of that place. All right. So the word vision means to behold, to look, to prophesy or to be a seer. It also has the meaning of revelation. So this is revelatory vision. In the Greek, in the, in the New Testament, it has the connotation of something supernatural, like a spectacle that is supernatural. This is what vision from God should be. And then in the diction, dictionaries, we see what is vision. It's the act of seeing objects, sight, the faculty of seeing that which is seen. In Scripture, it is a revelation from God, a supernatural appearance. So this is in the uh, Webster's Dictionary. Okay, so then a vision is something that's seen, either visually or perceived mentally. And obviously for us, it's perceived mentally as we draw from the writings of, of the Word of God. It is something that is gazed at. It is something that is contemplated. It is synonymous. The synonymous words are words such as goals, aims, or objectives. Goals are defined as the point set to bound a race and to which the runners run, the mark, any starting point or starting post, the end or final purpose, the end to which a person aims to reach or accomplish. Aims are defined as to direct one's efforts to attempt to reach or accomplish an object or purpose to try or, or purpose to do something. And objectives speak of something aimed at or striven for. All right, just throwing that all out there, right? But I want to finish with this. All leaders and all churches and all people need to have a God-given vision. Leaders need to have specific goals, aims or objectives to which they are working and which they are leading the people of God. That's what constitutes biblical vision. You know, in the next, either the next few weeks or when we get back, we're going to Indonesia again. And I'm sure that when we're gone, the guys who will be preaching will take the seeds of what is going to be preached these three weeks and, and develop it and bring, bring more. Um, but eventually in the, this next season, we'll be announcing a whole new leadership team, which we're really excited about. This ne- but I want to finish with this, and I'm, uh, I'm going to ask the music team to come up. I'm going to just once again lay out our vision. This is Brahm and I, when we read this, he read this out loud to me one morning. I said, Brahm, That is our job description right there. And you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. And of course, because I'm reading from the Amplified version today, you'll hear it in the Amplified. Um, And this is is our job description. This is biblical vision. This is what we're meant to do, okay? Here we go. He is the one we preach and proclaim, warning and admonishing everyone and instructing everyone in all wisdom comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God that we may present every person mature, which means to be fully grown, fully initiated, complete and perfect 
in Christ, the anointed one. For this, for that vision, for that goal, for that objective, for that aim, I strenuously contend or I labour unto weariness, striving with all the superhuman energy which He so mightily enkindles and works within me. All right? So over these next few weeks, let's discover more and more where God takes us on this. And let's come into this new year knowing what we are a part of and how God is going to use each and every one of us. Okay, let's just stand. Let's just stand. Father, in the Name of Jesus, we thank You, Lord, for the power of Your Word imparting truth into us, imparting vision into us. Father, we want to understand what biblical vision really looks like. We want to understand what it really means to be the people of God, walking with You, journeying with You, not failing, Lord, and not failing to hear where You are leading us. We don't want to go round and round the wilderness for 40 years, Father, never really making it to the place of conquest and to the place of inheritance. We want to be a church and we want to be a people that operate in the call of God upon our lives. We want to fulfil who You've called us to be in this city and in this nation and in this world. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. We surrender to You, Jesus. Lord, we want to be part of the vision you have for us all, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as leaders in this church, Diane and I, Carmen, Lord, we commit ourselves even more, Father, and all these other leaders any, in any position, Lord. We will contend for the maturity of the people you bring to us, Lord Jesus. We will contend, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right. We don't know what's going to happen this year, but we're going to walk with the vision. And here's the scripture that came to me that will encourage us. I want you to repeat after me. I think it's Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Everybody say after me. Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign through one Christ Jesus. Let's say it again. Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign. Jesus Christ. The song we sang in the beginning that our God reigns, but not only that He reigns, but through the abundance of grace, you and I now will reign. Okay? In, the, in this coming year, 2023.